When people ask me about my favorite movie, I usually name a few of my favorites through the years, but I always, always name It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, how I love that old movie. It's definitely in my top 10 list. Now, I'm sure that almost all of you have seen that movie, but I'm amazed that I still, as much as it's shown around the Christmas season, I'm amazed how many people still haven't seen it. So the basic gist is this. The movie starts with an angel being debriefed in heaven and told how he can finally earn his wings if he'll help a guy down on earth named George Bailey who lives in a little town called Bedford Falls. Now, the problem is George is discouraged. You see, he's going through a really tough time in life, and so this angel just appears out of nowhere and disrupts George's suicide attempt. And the angel's name is Clarence. And Clarence shows him what the world would have been like if George had never been born. And through it all, George concludes that in spite of all his troubles, in spite of his discouragement and all the pressure of his life and how miserable he is, he has had a wonderful life after all. And the movie ends with the tinkling of a Christmas bell reminding George that Clarence the angel who'd helped him has just earned his wings because as everybody knows, as everybody knows, whenever a bell rings, an angel is just receiving his wings. Yeah, the theology is a little flaky, I'll admit, but it's still a wonderful movie. Now, today we begin a brand new Christmas series that I'm calling Angels Among Us. And my goal in these weeks leading up to Christmas Eve is to examine some of the Christmas narratives in the Bible where angels played a role. After all, there are over 300 references in the Bible to angels. If you're new to God's word, that probably is shocking to you. But I'm telling you, they show up everywhere throughout the Bible. They're just frequent guest on the pages of scripture. And when any scriptural theme is that prominent, we ought to know something about it. Well, the first appearance of an angel in the Christmas story is the angel Gabriel as he comes to an old godly priest named Zechariah who is engaged in worship in the temple. And we read in Luke chapter one, this is Luke's gospel in your New Testament, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. An angel appeared. Now let's face it. To many modern people, this is just unbelievable. Some think this whole belief in angels is this quaint little myth, this superstition that we need to get beyond and they kind of smile condescendingly at the thought of such a thing. But you know, I'm amazed that belief in the supernatural, even among the most secular of people, is actually making a comeback. There was a time a couple of generations ago when some people actually believed that science was going to solve all our problems. 
We don't need God. We don't need the supernatural. In fact, there's no such thing. But in our postmodern world, millions of people are realizing that merely human solutions just aren't working. They aren't solving the problems of the world. And so many are looking beyond this world for answers to the meaning of life. Think of all the widespread speculation over the last few years about UFOs. It's incredible how much has been written about that, all the documentaries, all the movies. It's incredible. Serious-minded scientists have tried to prove that UFOs are visitors from outer space and that there are these superhuman powers at work. Or think about the renewed interest in ESP, extrasensory perception. I mean, come on, how do you explain the fact that some people just seem to know things that that they never studied in a book and couldn't possibly discern through their normal five senses? I like the t-shirt that reads, there will be a meeting of the ESP club. You know where, you know when. (laughs) Well, Interest in the supernatural is definitely on the rise. In his book, Angels, God's Secret Agents, Billy Graham relates the story about the celebrated Philadelphia neurologist. His name is Dr. S.W. Mitchell. He'd gone to bed one night and then heard a knock at the door. He went to the door and standing there was a little girl, poorly dressed, but deeply upset. She said that her mother was very sick and she asked if Dr. Mitchell would please come with her to see her mom. Well, it was a snowy, bitterly cold night, but he agreed to go. He found her mother desperately ill with pneumonia. And after arranging for her medical care, he complimented the sick woman on the intelligence and the persistence of her daughter. And the woman looked at him strangely and said, my daughter died a month ago. And then she added, her shoes and coat are in the clothes closet there. Well, perplexed and curious, Dr. Mitchell went to the closet, opened the door, and there hung the very coat worn by the little girl who had brought him to tend to her mother. But the coat was warm and dry and could not possibly have been out in the wintry weather that night. Now, how do you explain that? If every earthly effect has a merely earthly cause, if pure empiricism or humanism is one's worldview, how do you explain such a thing? I mean, did someone just make the story up and just kind of fool everybody? Was Dr. Mitchell, the neurologist, just perhaps hallucinating? Or was it the work of God's angels on behalf of this sick woman? Now, let me say up front, as we begin this new series, Angels Among Us, I believe in that angelic beings, like the one that appeared to Zechariah, I believe they're real, very real. And I don't believe that because I've seen an angel myself. To my knowledge, I have not. 
And I don't believe in angels because our culture seems to be enamored with them. And I, I don't believe in angels because there's a current fascination with fallen angels and the occult. I believe in angels for one simple reason. The Bible teaches that they are real. And I believe the Bible tells the truth. As I said earlier, there are over 300 references to angels in the Bible. And yet, there's a lot of confusion about them. I mean, the cute myth that angels earn their wings by doing some good deed on earth is just, is just one of many misconceptions. One of the most common ones that I hear, usually it's around a funeral or a wake or something, somebody will come up and go, well, she's an angel now. Meaning that they believe that dead people become angels, but the Bible doesn't teach any such thing. Other false teachings are that angels are these weak, effeminate creatures who are morally perfect and float around on clouds all day. There are all kinds of silly and sentimental traditions that have been perpetuated through the years. So I think that in this series, it's good that we start by asking this question, who and what are the beings we call angels? I think there's some basic facts from scripture that would be helpful to know. Now, in preparation for this, I went through tomes and tomes of theology books and most of the theologians get into all the minutia. And most of that would bore you to death. So I'm gonna spare you all of that stuff. I mean, they like to argue about how many angels can dance on the head of a, of a pin and things like that. But I wanna hit you right now with some high-level overview of some of the key things we know about angels from the Bible. Things that are solid and true that you know you can hold on to. First one, angels are created spiritual beings. If you want a great theology book for your library, I would recommend Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. It's a massive book, and it covers just about every biblical topic you can imagine. And Grudem, this incredibly respected theologian, defines angels like this. He says, angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. And God created the angels. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, for by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That includes the angels, the invisible part, the spirit world, angels, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So angels are invisible spiritual beings created by God sometime before the creation of the world. That's a solid truth from scripture. Second thing you can hold on to is that there are a lot of them, a stinking lot of them. I mean, Luke's gospel says that suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared before the shepherds. So there were angels, just tons of them that appeared. In Revelation chapter five, we read there that 
John, the one who saw this great revelation, looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and get this, 10,000 times 10,000. If you do the math, that says there are 100 million angels that God has created and that John sees in this revelation around the throne room of heaven. That's a lot of angelic beings. Third, this is important to know, sometimes they appear as human and sometimes as superhuman. Now remember, they're invisible beings. They're beings without physical bodies, but sometimes in Scripture, they take on bodily form to appear to various people. For instance, in Matthew 28, it says that when Jesus arose from the tomb, an angel came and rolled away the stone. And in Matthew 28, verse three, we read, an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, I like this part, and sat on it. He sat on the stone, like taking a little rest here or like a a victory stance. I'm in charge here. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, I don't know if you've been really, really close to a strike of lightning or not. I have numerous Times, and I want to tell you, your first reaction is just to cover up in fear and preserve yourself. No wonder these rough Roman soldiers were scared out of their minds because this angel appeared as a superhuman being. But, but at other times, you need to be aware of this, angels look very, very human. In fact, we're told in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, we're told, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. They look just like a normal person. They appeared very human, but they're actually an angelic being in a human form. Fourth, angels are limited in their knowledge and power. They're limited. On the one hand, according to 2 Peter, they know more, they're stronger and more powerful than humans. And yet, unlike God, they are not omnipresent and they're not omniscient. They definitely don't know everything. Jesus made that clear in Mark's gospel, chapter 13, when he said, no one knows about that day or hour, that is the day of his coming, again, Not even the angels in heaven know it. They don't know everything. Nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, this is really important to know because some people are prone to give angels more awe than they deserve. Indeed, Colossians 2.18 speaks of those who actually start worshiping angels, believe it or not. And that tendency is very alive and well in our culture. There is an absolute obsession among some quarters with angels. Fifth, this is important to know, angels have a free will and can obey or disobey God. They have a free will, just like you and I do. In Romans, excuse me, Revelation chapter 12, 
we read, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. Who's the dragon? That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, I know this is a lot of information and a lot to drink in, but listen, Satan and a third of the angels rebelled against God and were cast out of heaven because of their disobedience and rebellion. And those rebellious angels are referred to in Scripture as demons. They're actually fallen angels. And sixth, and finally, it's important to know that angels are organized and structured. They're organized and structured. In Matthew 26, Jesus made this statement, do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Now, if you Google a legion in the Roman army, I just wanna tell you, maybe save you a little time, the authorities on ancient military practices don't agree all the time on this. But most of them believe that an ancient Roman legion of soldiers contained up to about six thousand soldiers. Jesus said, hey, I had 12 of those at my disposal. Now in scripture, other than the fallen angel Lucifer, there are only two other angels named. They are Michael and Gabriel. And Michael, if you study him, he's usually associated with missions of judgment And Gabriel is usually associated with missions of mercy and is usually bringing good news, usually bringing good news. Somebody said, really? Only three angels named in scripture? What about Lo, the angel named Lo? You know, it says Lo, the angel of the Lord. Well, (laughs) that's not really an angel. Or somebody said, only three How about the angel Harold? You know, like Hark the Herald angel sing? That's pathetic, isn't it? We need to move on. Let's pivot now. We've kind of have a little angelology 101 here, and I hope that some of that information was helpful to you. Those are, because there's so much crazy information out there, we need things that are solid that we can count on, and, and all of that is straight out of Scripture. But now let's ask this question, What's their purpose? What are angels? What are Have you ever wondered this? What are angels designed to do? So quickly, let's explore their purpose. And I think there's one verse in the Bible that gives it more succinctly than any other verse. It's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. This is a verse you ought to know if you're interested in angels. It says, "Are they not all ministering spirits?" sent out to render service for the sake of those 
who will inherit salvation. Now, that is a very encouraging verse to me, folks. Why? Because the Bible says we should be very excited about the role of angels. Why should we? Because they're created and commissioned by God to serve those who truly belong to Jesus Christ. Is that you? Do you belong to the Lord Jesus? Are you a true believer? Are you a disciple of his? Guess what? Angels were designed by God and commissioned by God to actually serve you in some important and practical way. Oh, I love the story in 2 Kings chapter six where Elisha the prophet wakes up one day and he's surrounded by an overwhelming army of enemy soldiers. And his servant, Elisha's servant, was in a panic because he sees them. I mean, he knows this is, this is the end for them. They're surrounded. There's no way out. And Elisha says to him, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant thinks he's lost his marbles. The third servant thinks he's lost it. This is crazy. What do you mean? This seems foolish. All he can see are these hostile forces all around. And Elisha prays this prayer. Oh, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And the next verse says, the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked, he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the enemy never laid a hand on them because they were surrounded by an army of angels. Folks, listen, friends, listen. One of the greatest thrills of heaven, I believe, will be when we go in God's video room. Now, don't mark this down as solid theology, okay? It's just my imagination. I don't know if God's got a video room in heaven, but I, I hope he does. <laughs> and I, I think we're gonna go in God's video room and he shows us all the times he kept us from impending disaster and harm by stationing angels to guard over us but we were completely unaware that they were there. Dick Eastman has written tons of books on prayer and the power of prayer. And in his book entitled Living and Praying in Jesus' Name, he tells the story about a missionary to China who naively went through a very dangerous territory all by himself. And he didn't know, he didn't know how dangerous it was. He didn't know that that area he was going through all alone was notorious for vicious thieves who would rob and indeed kill innocent travelers. And when he came back safely, his fellow missionaries were stunned that he had gone through that area and they wondered how he could have possibly made it without being attacked. And then the missionaries began to hear rumors, rumors circulating among the bandits that that was the one missionary they would not attack because when he traveled through their area, he was accompanied by an entourage of soldiers. And several of the bandits gave testimony that there were precisely 11 soldiers, 11 accompanying this man. Well, when the missionary heard that, he was perplexed and because he knew that he'd gone through all alone, and, and he wondered if perhaps God had 
sent angels to protect him. Well, he wrote that down in a letter to supporting church back in Los Angeles. And the pastor wrote him back saying, you know, on that very day, I was moved to call a prayer meeting, but I was frustrated and so disappointed that so few people showed up. In fact, there were only 11 of us in the prayer meeting. The very number of soldiers the bandits had said accompanied the missionary. And one of the ways, one of the ways that angels serve true believers is not only protecting and guarding at times, but also providing vital information. For instance, in our text today, Luke chapter one, verse 13, we read, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you're to give him the name John. Well, Zechariah was understandably scared. Verse 12 says, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. I mean, let's face it, it can be terrifying to come face to face with the supernatural. But Zechariah's fear quickly turned to skepticism about the message that the angel brought. We read in verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? <laughs> hey, Zechariah was like us, wasn't he? I mean, he was a modern person. He had a natural, dubious nature, skeptical about things like this. I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And then the angel responded with this. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. You remember we said Gabriel is usually associated with missions of, of communicating good news to people. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. And as a discipline, as a discipline for his unbelief, Zechariah was struck mute during the entire duration of his wife's pregnancy. Well, guess what? Guess what? The prophecy came true exactly as the angel had predicted. And for nine months, Zechariah could not speak. Elizabeth, even in her advanced age, had a baby boy. And as the family and friends gathered together, all excited to celebrate, they said, what are you gonna name this child? Now remember, in that culture, the father is usually the one who publicly declared the name of the child. But Zechariah, remember, couldn't speak. So Elizabeth said, well, we're thinking about the name John, and the relatives are confused because in that culture, usually picked a name, usually picked a name of someone in the family, one of your relatives. Maybe you'd be Zachariah Jr. or whatever, or maybe you'd name him after a grandfather or something like that. 
So he said, nobody in your family has that name. What do you, what do you mean? So through sign language, they go over to Zechariah and they ask him. And he asked for a tablet so he could write on it. And he wrote, his name is John. Because that's the name the angel had told him to name the child. And when he did that, verse 64 says, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. And by the way, Zechariah and Elizabeth's child, born to them in their old age, grew up to be the one we call John the Baptist, the one whom Jesus said was the greatest ever born to women. Wow, what an incredible true, amazing, relevant story. But what are we to learn? What are we to learn from this? I want you to walk away today, every one of you, young and old, wherever you are in life, wherever you're listening to this, I want you to go away from this message today with this lesson ringing in your soul. Here it is. We're gonna throw it on the screen. Since God can do immeasurably more then all we ask or imagine, and he can, it's never too late for a breakthrough. It's never too late for a breakthrough in your life. You see, Zechariah lived in a day when hope was at a low ebb. I mean, come on, the Jewish people, the Jewish people had been waiting through 400 years of silence. Hope for Messiah's coming was very dim and his own longing for a child of his own seemed hopeless. But God broke through and made a way where there was no way. And I wonder about you. I mean, maybe you've, Find yourself without much hope this season. Perhaps you even dread the next few weeks. Your health is, is broken. Perhaps you're addicted to substances and your life just feels out of control. Your relationships uh, seem damaged beyond repair. Your marriage is just a mess and you've just about given up on it. Your dreams for your future are in shambles. Listen, listen. Because God is a God of the supernatural. Because he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Listen, friend, you are never beyond hope. It's never too late for a breakthrough. I've seen God change people I thought would never change. I've seen God change situations that I thought were beyond hope. Sometimes he does it quickly and dramatically. Sometimes he works as gently and gradually as snow falling on a winter morning. But our God, make no mistake, our God is the God of the impossible. And it is never too late for a breakthrough in your life. 
Would you pray with me, please? Father, this Christmas season is a time when so many people are desperate and they feel hopeless. Life spinning out of control. Relationships broken, damaged. So much pain. And listening right now are many people who feel, who feel the sting of that. They, they themselves, you know them by name, but they feel like their situation is hopeless, like there's no way this can change. So Father, since you are the God of the supernatural, who does immeasurably more, I ask that in your own way, whether dramatically, whether gently, whether immediately, whether over a period of time, I ask that you would begin to break through in their life and show them that they are not beyond hope. Show them, Lord, more of who you are. Reveal yourself to them. Show them that there is a way, even when they think there's no way. Show them that you are the God of the impossible. And we pray this in the strong name of our Lord Jesus. Amen and amen.